welcome to Tiny Voice Talks with me, Toria Bono. And, well, a couple of days ago, actually, I put a call out on Twitter and I wondered if people wanted to talk about those issues that we don't talk about. Issues like depression, menopause, anxiety, those things that just seem so difficult to actually have conversations about. The response was overwhelming. So many of you said, yes, please. Please get people on to talk about these things. And I am so grateful that today my guest is coming on to talk about depression. And my guest today has possibly the best name, surname of anyone I know. So welcome to David Le Templier. Did I say that properly? Absolutely perfect. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it was really interesting um, that so many people said, yeah, we really, really want to, you know, to listen about depression, but actually so few people were willing to come on and talk about it. And actually you were, you said, no, I will absolutely come on because I'm on the other side of it. So for anyone that doesn't know you, David, who is David Le Templier? Uh, so David Latomplier is a uh, primary school teacher in the southwest, former head teacher, um, but importantly, I'm a dad to two beautiful children, husband to an amazing wife, and uh, yeah, loving life outside of headship too. So yeah, that's who I am at the moment. Fantastic. Now I want us to step back in time, and I want okay. us to step back in time to that period that was before now basically the period where you were suffering from depression so that our listeners can really get an idea of where you have come from and you know how you got through it to where you are now so let's go back to where you were okay um so i suppose for me my journey with depression started in 2016 so it's something i've been dealing with for quite a long time now um and um, I think um, the patterns and behaviours that I associate with my depression have always kind of been there, but they've been in the background. And it took a quite traumatic Ofsted in, uh, experience in um, my first headship, um, which kind of opened the taps, I, I suppose, for want of a better yeah. phrase. And um, from there, um, I have been suffering from depression. Um, but back when it started in 2016 um I didn't know it was depression I just thought it was what head teachers do you know because it's a difficult job and it's stressful and it's time consuming but now that I've got through that and I've been able to reflect on the past six years I see now that what I was doing to myself by trying to survive in my job um was actually very detrimental to my mental health and has led me to be depressed um and yeah that's kind of where it all started so weird question but how did it look um so for me um so uh, we had this inspection and um I also got married three weeks later um so it was very it was, it was a very busy time um both personally and professionally mm. and then one, once the wedding got out of the way and the honeymoon was done I went back to school um I suppose my um my space for thinking opened up and I got just dragged in to um, 
to the to the world of being a head teacher and um it was all consuming and I put my all to it because that's what I wanted to do because we we're in a yeah. very challenging situation uh, and all and all all headship roles are challenging but um mine was particularly challenging for a number of reasons mm-hmm. um but because I focused so much on the role and my self-worth was so attached to the role, I forgot about my own well-being. So what that looked like for me was overeating. Um, I put on six stone in, in nearly six months, which is wow. uh, quite, quite impressive. Um, and um, I, I became quite reclusive. I, uh, I know personally I was never at home. I was generally in school from seven till uh, seven in the morning till gone six in the evening. Um, and, uh, little things like when, um, my daughter was born in 2017, my oldest daughter. And I remember when she was born and I feel so guilty and ashamed about this now, but at the time she was born in the morning, my wife had had to have an emergency C-section and as my wife's asleep, I'm holding my daughter and I'm checking my emails. And I think back now, I think, well, what on earth were you doing? But that was just what the, my depression and my, um, how consuming my role was and that's what it looked like for me um and eventually it then grew into other behaviors um Mm. like you know um i I, i've struggled with addiction in the in the past six years um and developed an eating disorder that's Mm. been diagnosed and more recently it's it's kind of led to very intrusive suicidal thoughts um which was last year um which thankfully i'm out i'm out of now and I'm starting to move forward, but it's it's a really it was a really challenging period of time in my life, and it doesn't just affect me; it affects my family, my children, um, the role, uh, the job, everything. Um, and it's only really taken that really dark spell uh, in my life um, just before Christmas last year to to wake up and think, well, actually, no, no, we need to focus on you for now. And we need to forget about the job, forget about the salary, forget about about the self worth around being a head teacher, and actually just focus on you for now. And since I've done that, uh, I'm happier. And um, most importantly, my wife and my children get a better version of me um, every day, which is nice. So, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I've rambled on a bit. No, not at all. You really haven't rambled in any way, shape or form. And actually just listening to you, I'm so grateful for your honesty in sharing this. And I'm sure there are lots of listeners out there nodding along with some level of understanding, because I think, you know, that self-worth being attached to our job, so many of us in education have that self-worth being, you know, linked very heavily to the job. And I totally get checking emails. You know, I, I had a discussion with someone the other day about do do you have your emails on your phone? Because, you know, and and then other people sort of pinging le- emails at sort of 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night because that's when they work best. And it's mm. so hard not to check those. It's so hard to switch off. It's so hard to go, okay, actually, it's, it's so, you know, especially if like you – Every, you know, your self-worth was linked to your job. Now, you mentioned something else, which was salary. And you mm. said that actually, you said you'd forget about the salary. But was salary a big thing within within the whole, you know, holding you there as such? Um, absolutely. Um, because, I mean, obviously, when you get more responsibility, you, you get 
more pay, which is the nice part of the role. Um, but um, at the time, um, my wife and I were um, looking to buy our first house um, in 2019. And um, I'd been suffering with this depression and anxiety for, for, for quite some time. And I was coming to terms with an eating disorder and all the other bits that came with that. And, um, you know, in reality, if I could talk to myself if I could talk to myself in 2017 now, I'd say, you know, you need to get out of this role. You need to focus on you because all the signs were there of somebody who was just not coping. But yeah. um, when you have depression and you've got this chemical imbalance, you don't think like a rational person. So in my head, um, I liked the status, but I also needed the salary. So uh, in my head, I thought, well, if I, if I give up my job or if I get sacked because of my depression, um, which is again is an irrational thought in itself. But if I lose this salary, I'm I'm going to let down my family because I won't be able to have we won't be able to buy our house. My daughter's not going to be able to get the support that she gets, um, and everyone is relying on you to keep this this job and to keep this salary. And in reality, it's totally not true. Um, since stepping out of headship. Um, Yes, I don't have the salary um, that I used to, uh, but you adjust. And and actually, yes, we struggle sometimes to get to the end of the month, my, my wife and I, but we're so much happier because I'm happier and I'm more present. And I really empathize with people who are in the situation that I've been in who are wrapped up in salary because it, it is really, really, really vital, particularly now in the, in the current climate. And... I remember going to um, a, a supply agency role recently and, and supply. I've got the greatest respect for supply teachers now, having been to some of these agencies. And um, when you see this, the figures and you go, oh, my God, how? No, no, I can't. I can't survive off that. But mm. in reality, you can because you find a way and it is possible. Um, but, yeah, for me, salary probably kept me in my job 18 months too long, um, which is when I think about it now, is is devastating really yeah now another thing that you mentioned was that you became quite reclusive mm. so i'm wondering did anyone pick up on this like that was working with you or did they just see you as doing your job um i think so i i think professionally uh, people just saw that i was doing my job and actually i was very good at putting on a brave face um, but when, when things were really bad, I would close my office door. I, I even had blinds on my office um, that I inherited. They weren't there by design. Mm. But, I would, but I would pull the blinds down and I would just stay in my office and I would find a reason to not leave. Um, and I, and my colleagues didn't never mentioned it to me. I think that's, that they just saw that I was busy and I was delegating and I trusted yeah. my team. But in reality... I was in there and I was just protecting myself from the world outside because I just wanted to be on my own. Um, and um, in my personal life, um, my word, I mean, reclusive was probably an understatement, I think, for uh, the way things were. I mean, I I would avoid going to parties or social gatherings. Um, I would avoid leaving the house, really, unless I had to. And it, it even got to the stage where if we were seeing close friends, I would have to get my wife to talk to, uh, talk to me through um, 
who was at the party or who was at the gathering because if there were people there who I, who I wasn't comfortable around to, to to talk and and to be present with I wouldn't go and yeah. um and that again is is just an you know and I, in reality people probably didn't even notice or care or they were just happy to see me but I thought well no people my rational brain was saying people are going to talk to you they're going to realize you're you're not yourself they're going to ask questions you're going to be on the spot and and before I'd even got there I talked myself out I'm not going um and and it really did affect my social life and unfortunately I lost friends because of it um which I'm I'm now starting to gain back Mm -hmm. but people but people would make arrangements with me and I would, would just not turn up or make an excuse last minute um to avoid it which, yeah. you know, is a shame. But I'm grateful that those people have let me back into their lives now. Yeah, I mean, depression is, it's a strange thing. It's a strange beast because it just removes the outer world in a sense um, and that ability to connect with it. Mm. So do you think, I mean, something that you said, I, I just wondered, do you think you masked your depression really well so that actually not pe- people didn't realise um I think in terms of my mental uh, the mental side of it absolutely um mm-hmm. I I was really good at performing um a happy with it person um for most of the time um yeah. obviously f- physically you can't hide putting on six stone um that quickly um or generally but um so people did notice that and my wife noticed that but because I was so quiet and actually I became quite defensive about things people were afraid to ask me Mm. um so my wife um used to uh, describe it as it was like walking around treading on eggshells but 24 7 um because I would get uber defensive uber um or I would just cry or I would get upset or quiet or or withdraw even more um and yeah I I think um people didn't notice but I think people were scared to ask or scared to just check in and ask me if I was okay because of the way I was yeah and I wonder um and yeah I'll be interested in your thoughts on this you know you were a head teacher at the time do you think there was a level to which depression doesn't happen to head teachers therefore I must you know, it, it, the connection wasn't there. You didn't connect with, I am depressed because I am a head teacher. Does that make sense? That mm. actually head teachers in a sense are this, this, these beings that just have to perform and are just, you know, on a, on a level that they don't suffer from things like depression. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think obviously as uh, mental health awareness has, has increased, particularly in education recently, I think there's there's a greater um, need to support people's well-being, but I think at the time it was. Um, I mean, it's only five years ago, but, mm. but um, I don't think there was there was that focus. I think it is very much you know you've got to be the strong, resilient person leading the team, leading them forward, yeah. and I think you had to put on this this exterior of being with it all of the time, um, and actually um, when that exterior started eroding for want of a better word um then then i found it was kind of more um the conversations from governing body or local authority or the mat um that i was with started to become more like well let's talk about um your performance in a role rather than 
and you know the performance enrollment and how that was starting to not be as good as it was before rather than let's talk about what's caused this because there's a clear jump between the two um but i think yeah there i think and i i think even to this day that there's still a kind of um this this view that head teachers should just be with it and they should be safeguarding the well-being of their staff rather than also safeguarding their own well-being yeah absolutely but i i think i i think i wonder if that's actually a thing for educationalists as a whole that actually we are meant to be very together beings because we're looking after lots of little people lots of young people so therefore we can't suffer from things like depression but actually by by not actually acknowledging those things in a sense we're we're not dealing with them am i making any sense when i'm waffling on on that that no you are and it's it it makes total sense um, because because you're right i mean i'm I teach now. I've got a class of of thirty children, uh, who who I I enjoy working with every day, and I enjoy seeing them. But I still have low periods, and you've got to kind of protect them from that. And you know, mm. it's the whole thing about putting on that brave face and leaving all of your troubles at the door, so you can focus on their learning. And actually, I think there is space to not to share your woes and your troubles with the, with, with with your children because that's not appropriate but to actually if there to be space within organizations to say actually i'm i'm not performing at my, at my best today because of x yeah. or because of y and there to be some support or some um mechanisms to support teachers well-being and when that happens yeah and i think that's so important the fact a level of understanding because um, you know, we, we talk about mental well-being, we talk about mental health, but actually we need to have it in action. We need to have these institutions, you know, it, educational institutions, really ensuring that teachers, leaders are given space to talk. Mm. Um, because talking is, well, like we're doing right now, it's absolutely vital. But how often do we actually talk about subjects like depression? I think well I think the answer is not not very much is like like isn't it really um I know there's still this kind of um there's still a stigma isn't there about talking about depression and mm. it's, it's out there but um like we were saying before we started recording the stigma is is actually in the talking about it not in the fact it exists um and in education in particular um I think there's still this thing where people see uh talking about depression anxiety other issues menopause like i know um like you're also looking to talk Mm. about at some point is is weakness and it really isn't if if anything to talk about it to your your head teacher your line manager your supervisor it's it's showing real strength of character um and that's that's got to be the shift i think in schools where people talking about their mental health is encouraged and celebrated rather than people feeling it's it's a risky thing to do yeah you know we don't just need to put on that mask and go into that class you know as you say it's absolutely inappropriate for us to have be having sort of mini breakdowns in the middle of the classroom with the children but it's absolutely appropriate for us to be saying to someone that we're not feeling in a great space that day or you know and to be feeling able to say those things absolutely vital but mm. it's it is tricky. It is really, really hard. How do you find it now? Do you find that 
you have got much better about talking about it? Um, to a degree, yes. Um, I think for me, the first hurdle was was actually talking about this uh, with my family. Uh, and I, right. I mean, my I'm like my wife who has suffered so much as a result of this and she's been mm. so supportive but it's I only really started opening up to her in 2020 yeah uh, so I've been dealing with this for four years and she could see that I put on weight and she could see that I wasn't myself but I hadn't found the words yet to talk about it um and to open up truly how I felt um and I was so grateful I did because then it started making sense because you know these things you know, they affect all parts of your being, including relationships with others. So um, I think I'm, I'm better at talking about this with my family. I mean, my parents only found out about, about this um, earlier on this year. Um, and uh, I love my parents, but I just didn't have, I didn't have the vocabulary to talk to them about it. Um, but I think by starting to uh, embrace networks that I found on Twitter, like um, Heads Up for Heads Teachers is one that I'm, yeah. I'm actively part of. And finding those safe spaces, I've, I've built up the courage to talk more. And that's why when I saw your, your tweet, I thought, actually, I'm going to be brave and do it because it might just help somebody. Um, and it also helps myself just by talking about it. It's very cathartic talking about things. So I'm getting better. Um, but I don't go around with a plaque saying, talk to me about depression, because, <laughs> uh, because I'm not quite there yet. But, um, but, but you know, um, yeah, it's certainly something I've got better at. And you've touched on, you know, Twitter, because lots of people can be terribly disparaging about um, social media platforms. But actually, I have found that, you know, there are spaces within these social media platforms, um, like the one you mentioned, which are just so good for offering that support that we need, you know, as educators, um, you know, because we suddenly find like-minded individuals, we can touch base and so on in a way that potentially we can't in our so-called, I, I don't know quite how to phrase it, but our real life. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think by finding those shared spaces, generally mm. those people have been through a similar story to yours. Yeah. And what, I mean, I've, um, what I've found from from attending those networks is actually when people talk, I can I can relate to things, and for me that's comforting because it's when particularly in headship it's so isolating, it's easy to think oh it must just be me, and and that's a really dangerous place to be because um, actually what I've found from talking to others is my story is a shared story, um, and 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 there's there's comfort in that when you find the networks. Yeah. So what advice would you give to anyone that's listening to this right now? And it's really clear to them that they need to do something. What advice would you give? Um, I think the first thing I would say, and it's really easy to say, but the first thing is, is just to find the courage to be vulnerable, to be vulnerable and talk to somebody about it. And because what I found from my experience is, when I put myself out there and, and spoke to somebody about it, all I found is love, empathy, compassion, support. And I didn't think I would get that, but I did. Mm-hmm. And and whoever's listening to this who, who's in that space will find the same if they just talk to somebody. Um, and I think um, you can be proactive about it too. So the NHS do a self-referral to Let's Talk. Um, you don't have to go to a GP 
you can get yourself self-referred. Um, and there's so many good charities out there now um, and networks on Twitter who will have got uh, free helplines that you can just access. Um, and that and that's a good starting point, I think. And then I think once people have started talking, um, I think it's about holding up a mirror and just thinking, well, what what's important to me right now? What brings me joy? What are the things that bring me happiness? And um, finding a way to step away from aspects of your life which which aren't supporting that joy and, and your well-being. Yeah. Which takes such courage. And that's, you know, that's what you've shown, really. And, and that's what I, took listening to you, I really admire the courage that you took initially by talking, but then by walking, you know, walking, walking away from a role that wasn't serving you. And actually, what you've said a few times is choosing, you have chosen to do things that have been good for you, you have chosen to prioritize your personal well being, you have chosen to prioritize your family. And I think that's amazing. That takes such courage. It really does, David. But it sounds like, you know, you have really turned your life around. Thank you. That's very kind. And yes, um, I think I think reflecting back on, on where I was just before Christmas, um, I mean, I smile most of the time now, which sounds ridiculous. Wow. No. But, 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 um, but before, before Christmas, um, you know, I, I was really, really quite desperately unhappy. And yeah. and even now when I when I have low points, I'm getting better at reframing it and thinking, well, what can I learn from this? So I've had a bad week. What do I need to learn? What can I change next week? And yeah. that's only come from coaching, counseling, talking to people, finding these people on networks who can support me. And, um, you know, the help is out there. I think people have just got to be take the brave step and, and just ask, ask for help. Yeah. Um, for the listeners, I will make sure in the show notes that I have any links that David's referred to, including the link to the Time to Talk referral. So please just look in there for those things. David, I'm so grateful, I really am, that you were willing to come on and talk about basically a topic that not many people are willing to actually talk about. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Now, before I let you go, something slightly more lighthearted is the final question I ask everyone, which is this. I wonder if you could have been taught by anyone, living or dead, who your perfect teacher would have been. Um, I would have to choose Brené Brown. I think somebody's oh, chosen it on the yes. podcast before. Um, she's just amazing. And her work, from a personal point of view, her TED Talks, her work, her books have been so helpful to me and, mm. um, and have given me the strength to start embracing vulnerability so it would have to be and plus her anecdotes are just ridiculously funny um so it would have to be her i think yes funnily enough i'm i'm reading the the atlas of the heart brené brown as as we speak you know it's well not literally as we speak but th that's the book that's by my bedside table at the moment i absolutely love brené brown i find that i learn so much from her mm. i really do yeah so yeah i i just think she would be such a good teacher to have in the tiny voice taught school i think so <laughs> David, thank you so much for coming on Tiny Voice Talks. I'm incredibly grateful to you, and I know many of the listeners will be as well. Um, and I just continue to hope, and you know, that actually your depression abates more and more, and that you continue to talk, and you know, yeah, continue to flourish as you are. 
Thank you. And thank you for having me on. It's been really helpful, really nice to talk about it. Thank you.